0: to where you can actually go off and do your own thing. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. You are darn skippy it is. Welcome into The Voice of Reason here on a pre-Friday celebration broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas on our flagship radio station. Hey, welcome in. We're all over the place. Radio, TV, live streaming and podcasting. Doing what we do best your millennial general reporting for duty like we do, well, like we did yesterday and every day before that. So, welcome in. Lots to get to today. The House of Cards beginning to crumble a little bit on the Democrat side. (laughs) The House of Cards falling apart and they can't do anything about it. When you build your entire platform on lies, misinformation, And anything else that you do that's, you know, not reputable or not um, right or real or realistic, then it begins to crumble. You can only fool people for so long, and which is why we're going to see some major elections coming up in the midterms. I've talked a lot about that before, but we're already starting to see this. Here's the headline. I I want to start off with two headlines on the program today. Headline from Fox News, a new 2024 poll, only 9% of New Hampshire voters... Again, 9% of New Hampshire voters say they definitely want Joe Biden to run for president again. That's on an East Coast, left-wing, deep blue state like the state of New Hampshire. 9% of voters are like, yeah, I love Joe Biden. Let's go ahead and make him run again. Then we saw yesterday the story of Kamala Harris, who had to drop the prices of getting a photo op with her from $15,000 down to $5,000. I mean, that already was a little bit cheap. If you remember during the Trump administration, a picture with... Donald Trump Jr. on the campaign trail was like $30,000. I mean, I get it. You take photos. It's a help campaign. It's what they do. For those that don't know, they're outside of the political realm. Then you go to a certain fundraiser. You talk to people. Then you take a photo op, and all the money is supposed to go towards the campaign that they're campaigning for, whether it's a, a a congressional candidate, a senate candidate, whatever it is in that area they're trying to help. That's the way that they make money because they bring value, and people want to see them and want to take pictures. So yeah, I'll donate X amount of money to the campaign to be able to get a picture with so on with somebody, and. Kamala Harris, of obviously not that big of a draw in the campaign season right now because she had to drop hers from $15,000 down to $5,000. No one wants a picture with her. Everybody's looking at Joe Biden under the Democrats saying, mm, eh, ugh, I think I'll pass on that one. So guess what? That's not happening. Then just the woke businesses in general are just hurting. We have Disney that's taking a hit because of all the wokeness they're doing. The Lightyear movie, bombed in the box office for the first opening weekend, which they did not anticipate. I don't necessarily claim it all to be on the wokeism from, uh from Disney, although I'm sure that did contribute some of it to it because they had like a same-sex kiss in there. They made a big deal out of it. They took it out originally and then put it back into the movie in post-production after the whole fighting the Florida bill on the uh, what they call the Don't Say Gay Bill, but we know that wasn't true. I, so there is part of that, but I also think that was due to the fact that Number one, it was going up against Jurassic Park, which, come on, who doesn't want to see Jurassic Park with the original cast, man? I mean, I get to see Jeff Goldblum or whatever the hell his name is back in there doing his thing again. That makes me kind of happy. I want to see Jurassic Park. I would rather see that over Lightyear, even with having an eight-year-old daughter. At the same time, Buzz Lightyear... That's Tim Allen, dude. You don't take away Tim Allen. So Disney's taking a bomb. Netflix just had to release and and, uh, actually let go of and to spend 300 employees and put them on uh, layoffs because they couldn't afford them because Netflix is taking a hit. Now, I will admit, I still have my Netflix account. Even though they've done some really, really bad, stupid, woke stuff on Netflix, I've kept it because at the same time, they've also defended a lot of their programs that got on, got attacked from the left side of the aisle, including some of the stand-up comedies. The Joe Rogan stand-up shows, the... um, what's his name? Uh, I can't think of it now. The guy that was going after the LGBTQ crowd... Uh, That uh, that got hit. They've defended their program because that was a Netflix special, and they have not taken that down as well. So while I don't like a lot of the programming from Netflix, I gotta give them a little shred of credit with the fact that they are fair trying to defend both sides and saying, we're putting out content, you can watch whatever you want. And I do respect that. So the fact that they're actually keeping some of the stand-up comedy and stuff that are controversial on the other side, I'll continue to support them for now. For now. Plus there's a couple shows that I really want to see on there before I Think about actually getting rid of it. But the House of Cards from the left side of the aisle is crumbling. It's falling apart. And we can sit back and enjoy it. We can watch it. We can try to take advantage of it. Never let a crisis go to waste, right? Let the Republicans take advantage of the situation the best as they possibly can. But this also falls into their purest ideology that has been implemented in the progressive movement right now. And, of course, I'm talking about the AOCs and the uh, it's, uh Ilhan Omar's and the Rashida Tlaib's and some of these nuts that are in Washington right now, that there is a mass movement of purifying the party into an extremist organization, but at the same time, almost turning it into a religion of sorts. There was a book a few years back. When I first got into politics, I was early in college, and I, I wasn't first into politics, but I was involved in politics. I got into college, and I had seen the new book coming out from... Ann Coulter, which I got to admit, I used to be a huge fan of Ann Coulter. She's kind of like disappeared, and she kind of went off the deep end when she went from being supportive of Trump to like absolutely hating Trump with a passion. I don't know what her deal was, but she kind of just faded away there for a while. But I was a big fan of Ann Coulter, and one of her books was one of the very first political books that I got as a young kid, which was The Church of Liberalism. And I read that book, and it blew my mind because it made absolute sense That they have turned the government and liberal progressive ideologies into a religion of its own, which is going to tie into our guest at the bottom of the hour, John Statton. He is a professor at the University of Duke of uh, the psychology. Department. He's a professor of psychology and author of the book Science in an Age of Unreason. We're going to talk about science. We're going to talk about evolution. And we're going to talk about the facts or misinformation as a religion and how it ties into many religions out there right now. And the fact that, well, you know, they tried to turn government into a religion in itself. A fascinating conversation because we've said this for years. It makes total sense when they say. We are the government, and we're here to help. They want you when something bad to happen. When something bad does happen, like a shooting, they don't want you to pray to a higher power and to the find either the power in the energy from outside to give you the motivation to be able to find it inside. However, you pray, whatever you do in your spirituality or religion, uh, they don't want you to look towards that higher power. They want you to look towards the government because government needs to do something. And guess what? That mindset, Andy, that's just that's a bunch of baloney. There's a bunch of Democrats who are religious. And I'm not saying there aren't, but I'm saying that message works, and it works very well. Here's the point in case. While they create the religion of the federal government where the government will solve the issues, we'll have your back, we're creating the safety net, we're creating the gun legislation, we're going to keep you safe, we're going to keep you protected, we're going to take care of you with social programs, all of these issues, they end up seeing... A dip in individuals who believe in a higher power or God, according to the latest Gallup poll that the United States as a whole has hit a new low in the vast population that believe in God or a higher power. As according to the Gallup poll, they show that right now in 2022, 81% of the American population believes in a higher power, which is the lowest that we've seen since 1945 when they started asking this question. Now, here's the crazy part about this, and we can go into why, and we've showed this, that as government grows, the belief in religion dwindles because we do. We just start believing in government as that safety net instead of that higher power. So there's a big trend that as government continues to grow and be the focal point, religion or belief in God in any way begins to dwindle. And if you don't believe me, look at the trends and when we see the dips and the increases in that higher power. All the way back to 1945, at that time, 96% of the American population believed in a higher power. By 1947, it dipped down to 94%, not a whole lot, but still a little bit of a dip, which I find kind of interesting. Who was in power at that time? Who was in control at that time? During the, during the mid-40s, that was FDR, right? That was the socialist. That was the guy that liked the, the New Deal, that liked the centralization of powers, the one that wanted the long-term socialist mindset in this nation, where he's the one that said that even when the politician leaves, that the bureaucratic state that he was creating at that time was going to continue on with the socialist propaganda to where people don't realize the evolution of the socialism going on in the nation. That's what was going on, and even though it was slight, we still saw the dip. It came back up in the 50s, up to 98% of the American population, according to this Gallup poll, or these polls that they've seen, believing in a higher power and God. And it maintained at that 98% all the way up to the last time that they took the poll, which was 2011. Just to put that into perspective, from 1953 to 2011, it went from 96%, 98%, down to 92%. Interesting. Then it dipped down to 87%, the first time ever that it dipped down into the 80s in 2013. Now, I'm trying to remember, trying to remember what party again was in office during the 2011 time, 2012 time, 2013 time. Who was in power there? Oh, yeah, that's right. That was the Obama administration, right? That was the socialist of Barack Obama fundamentally changing the United States of America. And when they created. A larger portion of the government, now not to say the government didn't grow in between the 1950s and the mid-2010s, 2011s. The government did grow, but we had a radical change in policy going from... The somewhat Ronald Reagan esque, and then the post Ronald Reagan with the Bush administration into the Clinton administration into the Bush Jr. administration. A lot of it was still, hey, we disagree, but we still can actually get along to move forward in a somewhat positive direction with America first mindset and how we believe in our values. We believe in our moral values and our religious values while we still continue to battle about which way and what direction you think the country needs to go. By the mid 2010s, 11s, and 12s, when Barack Obama took office and he wanted to fundamentally change America now we start seeing a decline in those that believe in a higher power the radicals came out of the woodworks the ones that wanted government to be their own religion came out to where we saw the biggest drop down in 2014 to 86 percent still obviously the vast majority of Americans but 86 percent of the population believing in a higher power during the Obama reign here's the crazy part You go fast forward up to 2016, what happened in 2016, the election of President Donald Trump, jump back up to 89% until you get to what we get here in 2022 under the Biden administration, We're now the belief in God, according to this Gallup poll, which, again, taken with a grain of salt. They don't get to survey everybody, obviously. I don't know who actually did get this survey call to ask them if they believed in a higher power, but in this survey here, according to 2022, 81%, the lowest that we have ever seen, actually believe in a higher power or God under another radically left administration. Every dip... Since the early 1940s, every dip in believing in a higher power believed when a left wing radical progressive was taking office and they wanted government to be the focal point of the American people. When they create the government to be God. When they create the government supporters and the Democrat voters to be the congregation in their church to think that they have all the answers, that man has all the answers to the issues of today as opposed to looking for that higher power to give you strength to do it yourself, to finding that inner power inside, to look for God to handle it for you, whatever you believe in, whatever flavor of uh, congregation or whatever flavor of uh, branching off of religious belief that you have, they take that away and say government is going to do that. And it reflects in the beliefs of the American people at that time with the direction the federal government's trying to enforce. That's kind of a dangerous cultural attack on us, isn't it? The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier.
1: Bring some reason into your
0: day. This is the voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. As you know, on this program, I don't talk a whole lot about religion because, well, you know, there's a time and place for religious preachers and and speaking of that sort, although I do have my faith, obviously. And I think most Christians, for the most part, most conservatives and Republicans, for the most part, do. But I don't talk about the religious aspect too much because it's not necessarily a winning argument against Democrats and progressives. You can't talk about a Bible verse, for example, as as uh, evidence to try and win an argument because if they don't believe in that, then that point's completely irrelevant. So I try to base my faith, and politics together based on constitutional values, which were founded based on Judeo-Christian values as well. So a kind of a hand-in-hand, the Constitution reinforces the religious aspect that I personally have. So I don't talk a whole lot about religion on this program, although discussions about religion are entertaining to me at times as well that we do do once in a while, once in a while. But this is interesting to me where we see that those that just even just regardless of whatever religion it may be, just a belief in a higher power in some way, shape, or form, where that gets changed based on the political ideology that's running Washington, D.C. And while they say they're religious on the other side of the island. Don't get me wrong, there are Democrats that are religious. I'm not saying there's not. But when the administrations are there focusing centralized power is the end-all, be-all, like the shooting. Hey, government, do something. Don't focus on the mental health. Don't focus on the family values. Don't to- to focus on the American values. Don't focus on, like, you know, treating people with respect to the golden rule or all these things that religion can teach you. Don't focus on those. Just focus on passing a bill out of Washington, D.C. to hopefully make us feel better. The mindset changes subconsciously to where we don't even recognize it and it's starting to lead us away from belief in a higher power, praying for something good to happen or praying for us to have strength to be able to fix this or to not let it happen again, as opposed to saying, hey, government, you're going to do this for us. And now we see that all-time new low at 81% of American population with their belief in God. That's a drastic change from what we just saw so many years ago in the 1940s when 98% or I guess the 1950s when 98% of the American population in whatever religion or denomination that may be believed in some form of a higher power. Which is why, like I introduced the program with, I think the House of Cards for the Democrats is beginning to crumble and beginning to fall because their mindset of we have all the answers isn't working out. We don't have any answers right now because nothing's working the way they need to. In fact, let's even go to the issue we've been dealing with for the last couple of years with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic and the lockdowns and the vaccines and the masks to wear this. I doubt you probably heard this on your national news, but the local news in Canada is reporting this.
1: More than a year ago, a BC man became partially paralyzed following his COVID-19 vaccine. Now the 40-year-old has become one of the first people in the country to be approved for compensation. With special braces for his legs. I have no muscle or ner- nerve movement movement or activity below my knees at this point. Ross
0: Whiteman is walking again, though with difficulty, and his hands suffering nerve damage have become stronger.
1: Both hands, they're um, as you can see, they're they're curled and um and i don't have a lot of wrist strength um that makes obviously doing pretty much everything a challenge the
0: former pilot and realtor developed a rare neurological disorder called Guillain-Barré syndrome he recently received a letter from the federal vaccine injury support program validating
1: his vaccine injury and saying he had been approved for compensation one of only a handful
0: in the country that was out of canada now I would like to question that one with the idea of the government religion that we're battling right now. Those that just blindly followed what the CDC and the NIH and the FDA said, because by golly, they are God, as Fauci said, that they're not, you know, in line with science. They are science. They're not part of science. They're not agreeing with science. They're not promoting science. They are science. So you should shut up. You should never question what they do. And you should go along with it. Sounds to me like a religion, right? Go get the vaccine or else. Not that you have the option or that that's available to you or it's a possibility. No, go get it or else you're not following science and you're not following the religion of the country. Fascinating how it all ties in when you look at it from that perspective, right? John Standen, we'll talk with him when coming up at the bottom of the hour right around the corner. Stay here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier.
1: When Reason Meets Radio,
0: you're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right you are. Welcome back into the program. Reason, common sense, rationale. That's what we try to promote on the show. It's difficult. It's so hard because it's something that's a minority in the world already today welcome into the show multiple radio stations all over the country tv live streaming podcasting wherever you may be watching or listening your millennial general doing what we do best trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five pound bag trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time talking about reason and as we've talked about going into the last half hour was kind of the perfect segue into this next segment is uh, is there any reason left out there and how do we bring back some common sense and reason in our latest in What's Trending. What's Trending Today. And I am super happy to have this guy on the program. He is the professor of psychology and professor of biology emeritus at Duke University, also author of the book Science in an Age of Unreason. Oh, boy, are we going to be able to bring reason back in here? It's John Stadden on the line with us here. John, how are you, my friend?
1: I'm fine. Good. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, I am, um, I'm glad to have you on the program. Is reason okay. gone? Because it's hard to actually find reason in the world today, it seems like.
1: Well, I mean, one reason, no pun intended, I did the book was I saw unreason in so many places in science. I mean, your weather forecast just talked about uh, dangerous events and how they, Your 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 guy didn't attribute them to climate change, but it's almost <laughs> universal now when there's a a hurricane or a tornado or a bad storm, all due to climate change, which is utterly false. I mean, If you look at the statistics, it's not true at all. You cannot blame extreme weather events on climate change. Yeah. There are other problems with climate change where I, I might get into, but the unreason extends everywhere. I mean, another example is this so-called anti-racism business. you probably heard about it. And if one goes in and looks at the books which sustain it, The most famous one is something by a guy called Ibram X. Kendi, who has a very well-funded center at Boston University. He's a professor. And if you read this book, what you see is it rests on a fundamental assumption, which is wrong. And the fundamental assumption is all people are the same. They're basically the same. Now, the Christian religions, we were all children of God and so on, but that's not his point. His point is that in terms of abilities and interests, well, we're all the same. So if we don't wind up at the same place in society, it's society's fault. And that's what he calls systemic racism. Which is an idea that's been around for a while in social science is completely unfounded. If you ask them, well, what do you mean by systemic racism, for example, um, they'll either say, well, it's obvious. And one of my colleagues say it's obvious. Uh, whereas, it, of course, it's not obvious because if it existed, it would be illegal for the system to discriminate against one race or another. So what they wind up saying is, well, look, look at these disparities of people. Look at these disparities. Um, a, a lot of African American people are poorer than the comfortable white people, and so on. So that must be systemic racism, and that absolutely uh, ignores the possibility that there are other differences responsible for those disparities. Um, I don't want to keep going on too long, but another another example of this would be not many people know that the short people tend to have lower IQs than uh, tall people. Nobody cares, right? Nobody cares. Short people don't identify themselves as short. Um, It's not a problem. The point is you can find disparities everywhere if you just look for them. Yeah. But if the group, but if groups identify as, you know, black or white or whatever, and there are disparities, then there's a, a kerfuffle. People get very upset about it, even though probably much of it, if not all of it, it is due to different interests and abilities. I mean, nobody's surprised uh, when there are more uh, women as nurses than men, or that there are fewer women than men in, in engineering or theoretical physics. Yeah. Uh, once you start looking for disparities, you can always find them.
0: Well, there's always disparities in the identity politics. I mean, we've talked about that so much on the program. I despise identity politics because you're right. You can always find disparities in some way, shape, or form. Uh, You lay out in the book, and it's kind of an interesting argument, which I completely agree with, is the sense that a political ideology in today's sense, especially that radical sense of the climate change, if it's really hot outside, then it's because of climate change. Uh, According to Danny Glover on a radio interview a few years ago, that apparently earthquakes down in Haiti were because of climate change, which doesn't make any sense.
1: No, they're they're due to white supremacy. You're completely. Oh, that's right.
0: (laughs) That's right. They're due to white supremacy. Yeah, Yeah. but it's it's almost like a religion. Ann Coulter wrote a book a few years ago calling the Church of Liberalism because it the political ideal is essentially a religion to where you have to believe this or else how dare you? You are causing. You are. uh, You are. Uh, committing blasphemy against this religion if you're part of a minority group or part of an identity that is supposed to associate with them that doesn't, how dare you? Because you're just not following along with everybody else.
1: I'm afraid that's it. I mean, uh, Americans, uh, Alexis de Tocqueville, you know, wrote this wonderful book, Democracy in America 150 yeah. years ago or something. And he had a, uh, several statements in there about how conformist Americans are. And this is a quote. Most people don't, don't feel that way. They remember Western movies, you know, John Wayne and all this, and um, all these great guys who charged off, you know, Shane, I remember this wonderful movie when I was a kid and so forth. But in fact, uh, Americans are very conformist, and they become more conformist, particularly the scientific community. Mm. And the reason is the way that science has changed over the last hundred years or so. I mean, when it started out, it was, uh, uh, not, a, not very many, many scientists. They were self selected, often se- self educated. They usually had some independent source of funds. Darwin had money from his father, and so on. There are many other examples like this. And they were interested in truth, and they didn't care how long it took to find truth. And taking, uh, finding uh, something important in science involves a lot of failures. You can read the history of Sir Humphrey Davy in in England in the 1800s, early 1800s. He took hundreds and hundreds of experiments that failed before he nailed down the two elements that he discovered. You can't do that now. Because of all individuals are not supported, it's projects that are supported. Projects, supporting a project's great for engineering, you know what works and what doesn't, you have an objective in mind. But basic science, it's just curiosity. Sorry, it's just curiosity. And curiosity leads into a lot of dead ends. That's not failure, it's good science. But you can't do that now. I mean, Darwin famously took 20 years to publish The Origin of Species. It's a huge book, which he calls an abstract. And he published two or three others afterwards to really fill out what he wanted to say. It took him 20 years, not because he was lazy or uh, embarrassed to publish or something. He just wanted absolutely conclusive evidence. Yeah. in favor of his hypothesis before we publish. And in, in the book, there's a whole chapter on the discrepancies, things he can't explain. I mean, that's good science, but it's really, really hard to do that now. I tell you, it's really hard. People get grants for three or five years. Uh, they've got to come up with what they're going to do, which in real science is impossible to predict what you're going to do. And if you put in a proposal that said, well, I don't know, I just think this would be a cute thing to do, no way you get it
0: Sure. I'm glad you. Uh, mentioned, I'm glad you mentioned this because this has been a a hot topic, and it's frustrated me a long time. It almost seems like you're right. We don't have science experiments nowadays to try and find the answer to something. It almost seems like it's been so corrupted by the administrative state, by the governmental state, by propaganda, by certain special interests, to where they come to you and say, "This is the result that we want." Now make the scientific process. Uh, create it to where we come out with this certain end game that we want, so we can show, hey, the science proves this. When it wasn't a real science study because we already wanted the results that we wanted that we had at the end of it, we just crafted the science experiment to come out with that with that end game.
1: Now, if it was that frank, it would be easy to combat. But that's the result. But it's not frankly done that way. What What happens is a research graph, let's say, goes to a, Well. Any area, there's really only one place you can go. When I was doing research on experimental psychology, there was only one panel I could send it to in NIH, wow. which a dozen people or so. Um, it, the competition was huge. When I when I quit and retired, people were spending 50% of their time writing garbage. That's an incredible waste of time, 50 pages, single space, and so on. Um, so that's where I quit. But the point is, when it gets to this panel, because it's hugely competitive, people are looking for ways to throw things out, you know, sure. <laughs> because they support everything. So, since the experts that look at your proposal will be two or three people out of a panel of a dozen or so, if you come up with something, an idea that they don't agree with, they can find a way to get rid of it. And it's not that they're saying, we, we don't like it, we're going to get rid of it. They will honestly think this is an unpromising line of research. So the censorship happens because of what economists call a monopsony. Monopsony is a monopoly buyer, And science nowadays, most of it, has a monopoly buyer, And therefore, odd ideas have no way of getting through. It's it's really very, very, very bad. The other problem, of course, is that scientists now are not uh, driven by a vocation for the most part. They're driven by professionalism. It's a career to them, it's not a vocation, it's a career necessarily. There are probably too many of them, I talk about that in the, in the book. But if if you're in, the, in science as a career, you are evaluated on product. Bureaucrats want to measure something, they want a product. And so the product that they go for is publication. Uh, I mean, there are many counterexamples for this. uh, Great scientists who publish very little. Darwin's one example. Another one is a guy called W.D. Hamilton. He he, he died a few years ago, unfortunately, of malaria in Africa. But he, he was one of the great movers in evolutionary psychology. He published one paper a year. That wouldn't make it nowadays. You wouldn't. You, of course, his papers are really important. Each
0: paper was really important. Sure. Well, yeah. You can do you it. To John, we gotta we gotta take a hard break here. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Be happy. Sir. Hey, fantastic, it's John Stadden. It is the book "Science in an Age of Unreason." Uh, we'll talk some more about this. Where did we get the reason to go away, and how can we bring it back, or can we bring it back when science isn't there to show real fact in science? We'll talk about some more of that when we come back here on the Voice Reason for a pre-Friday celebration. Stay here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Darn right it is. Welcome back into the show. Last few minutes of the program for the pre-Friday celebration. I love this conversation. We're going to have to have this guy back on the program again as we talk about psychology and science and truth and facts. Can we bring it back and is it able to come back? By the way, being a professor of psychology, by the way, we're talking with John Statton, author of the book Science in an Age of Unreason. Being a professor of psychology, I have to ask you at some point on how crazy we are in this world nowadays because (laughs) I just don't get us at all. But when did this change start happening, do you think, in the science world, in the scientific world, when we went from, like you said, having a hypothesis, trying to do an experiment, trying to test it to see, wow, you know what, my assumptions were correct or no, they were wrong and here's why, and here's the results that we came out with, and having truth and fact and science back up as opposed to now we have one study that's limited that's wide open for interpretation and then everybody bickers about what the science actually says and no one can agree on anything can we get back to the way science used to be back in the day or is it pretty much gone
1: well i mean i really worry about it. i think the problem is systemic and i think it's been evolving as more and more money uh government money has been put into it and government money favors centralization, right? So uh, the support of science has been centralized in the National Science Foundation and um, the National Institutes of Health, but usually you're forced to go to one or the other. I remember years ago, I could get money from the National Science Foundation because I worked with animals, but then (coughs) the the little group that I I applied to was taken over by by people who studied uh, ecology, and they said, well, you guys can get money from NIMH, so don't apply to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was forced to apply to the National Institute of Mental Health. And that, that system leads to the kind of conformity that we have. And the professionalization of science is, uh, 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 is different from the way it used to be when it was a vocation. Professionalization of science meant that people become more and more conformist. And one of the very bad effects of it was the adoption of uh, what's called the null hypothesis statistical testing method, which is just something you read about all the time. You have a control group which gets a neutral treatment. You have another group which gets a drug or whatever. And it turns out that the statistics used for that method are faulty. And there was an absolutely vital paper published about well, many years ago, 2005, where the title of this paper was, and this is hard to believe for an academic paper, the title was, Why Most Published Results Are False. Why Most Published Results Are False. Wow. And the guy was brilliant, a guy called John Ioannidis, a statistician. And it turns out he was dead right. And people who tried to replicate drug studies and so on were finding that uh, 50% or even even fewer of the studies were replicable. In other words, they could repeat the experiment and would not get the same results. So that's one of the uh, results of this. Now, attempts are being made to do something about this, but they operate within re- within this system. So everybody's looking for an algorithm. Everybody's looking for uh, a standard procedure that everybody will agree on. Well, science ain't like that, guys. It's not like that. Yeah. There is no standard procedure. There is no gold standard. And yet, all the attempts to, rep- to improve matters are still leading down this algorithmic Algorithmic word. As I say, I think one of the solutions to it is to diversify funding sources. Mm, Uh, Have twenty or thirty different sources uh, that compete with one another, and the evaluation of people should should not be in something as simple but easily to measure as publication rate.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. We got about about 30, 45 seconds here, but real quickly, do you think that's why, because there is no conformity in this and because it's so skewed, do you think that's why there's such a low trustworthiness of the general public on science today of the government of certain agencies? is because we don't trust the information that we're getting right now.
1: Well, I think that's right. I mean, I just read an article uh, in Slate about Secondhand smoke. Now, it's been known for years. I, in fact, published a book on this called Unlucky Strike, which second edition just came out, showing that second, very good data showing that secondhand smoke has absolutely no discernible effect on non smokers. <laughs> and yet, on the basis of this false finding, I recommend the article, by the way, it's a guy called Jason Greer Well, We Use Terrible Science to Justify Smoking Bans. He's quite right. But it, it goes on and on and on. I read that the uh, ever-wise Biden administration is, yeah. is now passing regulations or trying to pass regulations against vaping, which is equally innocuous.
0: And pushing There's it based it. on this false stuff. Yeah, John, we're out of time, my friend. I could talk to you for hours. I love this so much. The book is Science in an Age of Unreason. John said, John, we got to get you back on the program. Can we do that again soon? Absolutely. Hey, I love it. It, Always a pleasure. It goes by way too fast. We'll get you back on again soon. Uh, We appreciate that. Science in an Age of Unreason. Fascinating conversation. Podcast up in a little bit. We'll do it again tomorrow for a Friday to wrap the program. Until then, be your own voice of reason. This is The Voice of Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.